Um, we are reading from Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 31 to 39. So I'll give you a second to flick open to that. Alrighty. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we, oh sorry, who gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks, Lily. All right, evening folks, how are we? Excellent. Hey, if you were asked to sum up COVID in one PG word... Uh, why don't you tell the person next to you what that word would be? Go. All right. Uh, for me, for me, the word that it sort of encapsulates this whole last two years uh, is separation. Uh, We've been separated from family, we've been separated from friends, we've been separated from workmates and places and activities that we like to do, Uh, we've been separated from restaurants we like to go to, you might say we've been separated from the whole rest of the world and Western Australia. It's like separation is everything. And now that we're actually living with COVID, it feels even harder. Uh, There are more people I know with the disease and more people I know who are in isolation. Hi, lovely to have you here this evening. Uh, But while we might be seeing an end sort of just around the corner, uh, I was super excited when I got my New South Wales health text saying, you've had COVID, you're all good now. And I was just about to rejoice till I read to the end of the text and it said, for the next four weeks. And that's when my immunity is over. And so uh, what do we say in a moment like this? Well, it's made our fellowship together. It's made us gathering week by week as 6.45 and now Christchurch nights are desperately sad. Indeed, my first Sunday here was March the 1st, 2020, And we went into our first lockdown on March the 17th, 2020. I can confirm, I've done the research, COVID is not my fault. But there is much to lament from the past two years. And for some of us, there's much to lament from even before then. But tonight, as we sort of kick off our year proper, 
as we start to look ahead to what we're going to do this year as a church, as we gather into our growth groups coming up, as we kick off our series in James next week, I want to take the opportunity to remind us all this evening that despite our experience of the last two years, despite the separation, our experience of that separation from so many things that we dearly love, there is one reality that we must grip onto as Christian people. And it's simply this, that nothing, nothing and nothing and no one can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to launch into this year with great confidence in the power of God that has been exercised for you. I want us to launch into this year with great boldness because of the power of God that's been exercised through Christ for you. I want us to launch in with great prayerfulness because of the power of God that is for you. And so our focus tonight is going to be this passage from Romans chapter 8 in which Paul asks a series of questions that I think we're actually almost meant to answer out loud. There's a sense in which all of these letters that Paul writes in the New Testament were probably read out to people. And as we get to this section in Romans chapter 8, it's almost like Paul is expecting the congregation to yell out answers from his language. But I think more than that, he's trying to expose our hearts. He's trying to get us to think, are you really ignited with gospel passion? Are you ready to leave the room with the gospel in your heart, in your mind, in your hands, attached to your feet, that you might go out with a gospel mindset, that you might set the scene for your year with gospel confidence and gospel boldness and gospel prayerfulness, not just for this year, but for all the days of your life. And so in Romans chapter 8 from verse 31, Paul starts by saying, what then shall we say in response to all these things? And when he says all these things there in verse 31, it's like he's referring back to everything he said in the whole book of Romans in light of the fact that sin is real and God is the judge. In light of the fact that God's wrath is real, but Jesus is your saviour upon a cross. In light of the fact that God's love is real and that he has set you free to love and serve each other in the power of the Spirit, what ought we then say? How can we summarise the way we walk forward? And using four questions, he's going to make two points. And the first point is this. Our sin cannot stop God's love. Your sin, my sin, cannot stop God's love. So question number one, also in verse 31, he asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the maker and creator and sustainer of the universe is on your team, who can really be an opponent of yours? Is anyone strong enough to disrupt God's plans for you? Does anyone have the power to change God's plans, to forgive your sin and draw you into relationship with him? God is too big and too strong to be defeated. And his plan is to bring you to salvation, but he is too big and too strong that anyone might defeat him. You know, one of my kids once played on an indoor cricket team. I won't tell you uh, which one. But uh, he was playing at the age of 10. And he, he played with a bunch of boys that he played with on the weekend. 
and he was playing as a 10-year-old in the under-13s competition. And just one evening when we went to the indoor arena, these 10-year-old boys all ran onto the field with great like, passion, ready to play. And then on came these 13-year-old boys, all about the size that this child might be about now. And I was just looking, thinking, they are absolutely toast. And they were. <laughs> Completely destroyed that evening. They were no opposition for those giant of a 13-year-old boys. And that is just why, like any opponent to God is, no opposition, for he is too powerful and too strong and too determined. Paul says in verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Not only is God for Christians, but his promises to us are guaranteed no matter what. And the argument in verse 32 is essentially, if God has already done the hard work of giving up his son, then how much more can we be sure that he will fulfill his promise of forgiveness through his son and draw us ultimately to him for eternal life in his glory? So friends, God is for you, is Paul's point here. He's not against you. He's not in heaven, cranky, looking at you like a mean university lecturer who's just hoping to fail you as you walk into their lecture theatre. God is on your side and he is your friend as you trust in Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. There's another question along this same theme in verse 33. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Uh, Can anyone overrule God's forgiveness? Can anyone overrule God's work through Christ at the cross? And the answer is no. Paul says at the end of verse 32, it is God who justifies. For those who trust in Christ, God has already made the decision that those people are now in his eyes just as if they had never sinned, cleansed of sin. The slate is clean. Question number three, he asks the next question in verse 34. He says, who then is the one who condemns? And his answer comes straight away, no one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You see, not only did Jesus die for our sins, but now he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us, applying the work of sacrifice on our behalf, even when we continue to sin. Jesus is there, ensuring that the freedom that he won at the cross is continually applied to you as you walk by faith. Now, friends, I wonder if you can see what Paul is emphasizing here, is that when you trust in Jesus, that the God of the universe is for you. When you trust in Jesus, your sin is taken. You are cleansed. The charge sheet is blank. When you trust in Jesus, no one can condemn you as a guilty sinner anymore because Jesus rose from the dead and right now he sits pleading for you, whispering your name to God the Father at his right hand through every moment. For when you trust in Christ, the God of the universe is no longer against you and nor does he count his sin against you for a moment. 
See, Paul's point is super clear. As we continue to seek Christ, our sin cannot stop God's love. But why does Paul labor the point? Why are so many verses making the same point? Well, perhaps because many Christians in his day, and I think many Christians in our day, still think that God is against them. Many people who trust Christ still think that God is a threat to them. That somehow their sin still counts. And so they bear their own guilt. They bear their own shame. And they live in fear. And I wonder if that's you. What do you see when you look in the spiritual mirror? Do you see a sinner or a saint? Do you see victory or failure? Do you see forgiveness or the impossibility of forgiveness? Well, the news of this passage is super clear. As you trust Jesus, your God is not against you. Your sin is not counted against you. For indeed, God delights in forgiving the sins of those who seek him and find him and trust him and walk with him. And he delights in setting us free to serve him with great joy. And what I find is that when I meet a believer who feels that guilt ongoingly that cripples them or feels that shame that holds them back, it's actually because that person, that Christian person, is actually holding on to their sin themselves. It's not because God's holding on to it. It's because you're holding on to it. And so what we should see in the spiritual mirror is not sinner and failure, but loved, forgiven. And friends, if you don't see yourself like that yet, I just want to say to you that you are robbing yourself of joy and hope and life unnecessarily. You're missing the point of Jesus' death. You're missing the point of his resurrection. You're missing the point of his ascension and intercession for you at the right hand of the Father. You're missing the point of the Christian life because you don't become a Christian so you can start to try to please God. No, you become a Christian because you realize that your attempts to please God are futile and that you need the forgiveness that he offers in Christ. And when you grip this, you will live with joy and hope, knowing that God's love is indeed towards you and you have nothing to fear. Well, that's all good and well, you might say, but you might say, Nigel, have you, have you heard of COVID? Have you seen my life? Have you seen the mess that my family is? Have you seen the trail of destruction that just seems to follow behind the things that I've done in life? The circumstances of my life, you might say, demonstrate that God has abandoned me. As I look at my life, I, you might say, I can't see God anywhere in that. And Paul's going to answer your objection with his second point here and his fourth question. 
And it's simply that the circumstances of our lives cannot stop God's love. Uh, look with me from verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that strange little quote there in verse 36 is essentially Paul just using an Old Testament verse to underline the fact that those who have followed the Lord God through all of time, there's always hard times. There's always difficulties for God's people. And he's sort of underlining his question and saying, is it possible that all of these things are evidence that we are separated from the love of God? Is it just the reality that sometimes God heads out for a burger and forgets to look after us? Is it just reality that sometimes God overlooks the more problematic Christians and just looks after the not-so-problematic Christians for a while? What do the circumstances of my life teach me about God's love? And this is Paul's answer in verse 37. He says, no. In all of these things, in anything that happens in life, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor really loud motorcycles, for I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's because God's love is unstoppable. And the circumstances of life never proclaim an absence of his love. Now, I know that might be hard to hear for some of us. If life is tough right now, or if life has been tough for many years, Paul is underlining here that the love of God is unstoppable nothing can get in the way of god's love his point is not that the love of god will help us escape from all bad things but rather the love of god helps us to triumph through those things what we see over and over again in the bible is that trusting god requires patience and perseverance particularly when everything around you is falling down or there is some impending disaster or failure ahead and so the scriptures teach us that god does and can rescue his people from crisis but that he often rescues us through crisis as he walks with us and teaches us that either way, whatever happens, his love remains always with us and his love never fails. The Bible never promises an easy life or freedom from suffering and pain, but God does promise he'll be with you in it. And he'll enable you to stand through it and at the last, he will bring you into an eternal glory that far outweighs any struggle or strife that we might experience now. And you will be a conqueror as you cling to God through the mess and as his love enables you to do that. So the worst of life's arrows is never proof of God's absence. But you walking on with faith, being a conqueror even through the worst of life's experiences, well, that's evidence of God's love for you. God's care of you. 
God's providential hand over you and for you. And so this word of God here is meant to give us such a deep and firm and unshakable and God brought blood purchased security in his all conquering love that in anything life has to offer, you will not curse him, you will not forsake him or walk away from him, but you will hold fast and trust him and be glad for him because when all else is taken away, he is all that is left and he is good and he loves you and between now and then I want to encourage you to stop both holding on to your guilt and shame and sin and lay it down at the foot of the cross I want to encourage you to stop doubting his love when things are hard he's with you walking alongside you. I don't know what your year is going to hold. For some of us, this year is going to be the year of celebration. Everything of the last two years is going to come to fruition. You're going to be like, I am living my best life. I can guarantee you for others of us, this year is going to be a year of hard knocks. No matter who you are, God walks with you. His love is unstoppable. He will not stop loving you and guiding you home. For if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. So let us not berate ourselves with guilt and fear and shame and so doubt God's salvation. Rather, let us clothe ourselves in love and forgiveness and the victory of Christ. And together, let us drink deeply of the knowledge of the forgiveness that is yours in Christ. This is what we love to do in growth groups, is to come together and remind each other that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are victorious. And that when we sin, we do not need to fear, for Jesus intercedes for us even now. And so we draw close to God in prayer, which is faith's most characteristic expression. As we trust him, we pray. And he loves to hear our prayers. And the way is open for us to cry out to him, because his love is always toward us. Because, friends, Jesus is Lord over all spiritual powers and he has triumphed over them at the cross. Jesus is Lord over life and death for he was crucified and raised from the dead. And Jesus is Lord over things present and things to come for it is in him that God has chosen us in love and it is with him that we will enter his glory. And in Christ, God is for us. So let us remind us of this, ourselves of this, each other of this. As we walk into this year, let us walk in with courage, with hope, with joy, and with the love of God in our hearts. Because God's love is unstoppable. And if you need to hear this word, then hear it. So just as Jesus said to Thomas, 
Stop doubting and believe you're forgiven. Friends, if you need to hear this word, hear it tonight. Stop doubting and believe that God has defeated your sin through Christ at the cross forever and ever. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite Nigel up. Uh, Thanks, Josh. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for preaching. I've had a great time. Um, it was just such a, such a joy to reflect on God's love for us, that that is never going to be taken away, that, that nothing can separate us uh, from God's love. Um, we've got quite a few questions, Nigel. Yeah, so, well, I'll be doing sermon extra during the week, Josh. Oh, okay. We had a discussion and we're like, maybe no sermon extra, but no, sermon extra is happening. We'll do, we'll do a uh, little secret Christchurch night sermon extra. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Because not everyone heard the same, same sermon today. So, really? yeah. Okay. So, Elliot preached on 1 Peter. Uh, Steve Rockwell preached on Psalm 100. Psalm. Thank yep. you. Psalm 100. And Ephesians and 2. And Ephesians 2. Wow. Yep. Three? And, uh, and so, Ephesians 3. Yep. 10.30 church at 10 o'clock did Romans 8, and we did Romans 8. So, there you go. Great. Well, um, if you're not in our Christchurch uh, Facebook members group, sorry, Sound like a boomer. Members of Christchurch St. Ives Facebook group, uh, join it, send a request, get someone to add you, and we, we will have a little Q&A with Nigel with the questions that don't get uh, answered now, but we'll just do the top three, I reckon, Nigel, starting right. with Soph's question. Excellent. Um, excellent questions, by the way, especially the one that was just, I love Slido. That was my favorite. Um, here's Soph. Soph asks, if someone continues to commit a sin with an unrepentant heart, but is still a Christian... Does God forgive them and not condemn them? Mm. Um, I'm thinking about 1 John chapter 1. Do you want to come over to 1 John chapter 1 with me? I do. Everyone can come over to 1 John chapter 1. Grab your Bible, grab your phone. It's on page 1178 in Dia Lucas' Bible that I found in the pews. Excellent. <laughs> um, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. Uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Christian people bring their sins before the Lord God and repent because we recognize that uh, our lives are lived to honor him, but there are moments where we do dishonor him. And so we, we confess our sins and we are able to acknowledge the moment that we have that Christ is interceding at the right hand of the Father. We saw in Romans 8, we are forgiven and we can press on with joy and great joy. Uh, I, I worry for someone who uh, knows that they are sinning knows they're doing something that is against uh, God's will for them and stubbornly is unwilling to repent and change uh, because to me that indicates a possibility uh, that that person hasn't truly grasped the nature of sin and the cross. A and uh, so I, I would suggest that if that is you, uh, um, then... Uh, 
you really need to come back and ask, what, what is it that God wants from me? And it is to honour Christ in the world. And, um, and, and none of us do that perfectly. But we're all called to walk that road knowing that God's love will uh, paint over and wipe away any sin because Jesus intercedes at the right hand of the Father even now. And so uh, I, I would just express concern that that person needs to come again to the cross and to find forgiveness afresh and to understand what it is to actually live honouring Jesus in the world. For sure. Thanks, Nigel. I think that was really helpful. The next question is kind of linked with that. Um, someone asks, how do, we, how do we know if we trust Christ? Some people are convinced they do, but then act as if they've never read the Bible. Um, do we trust simply if we think we trust? Um, where, would, where would we turn in Scripture to yeah. see that? Uh, so uh, I'm thinking uh, John 13 is a good place to go. So come over with me to John 13. Bible flick time. Uh, John 13, um, uh, Jesus is speaking to his uh, disciples here and uh, instructing them at the end uh, as uh, to how to uh, live in the world and how people will know what a believer looks like in the world. Uh, he says to them in verse 33, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And then he says, verse 34, so John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So uh, I think if you, if you combine that with, uh, say, Romans 10, uh, 8 to 10, which uh, Paul says, uh, if, you can, if, you, if you look up the passage <laughs> so you don't get it wrong, let me read Romans 10 uh, from verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, if you are declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is in charge of my life and calling the shots. And so therefore you don't live as though you haven't read the Bible. You actually are choosing to live as though you want to honour Jesus with your life. Uh, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you trust in Christ, then you'll be saved. And the fruit of that will be brought about uh, both in love of one another and in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that, that is the fruit of being a believer. You are given the Spirit of God, and that fruit bears uh, its way in your life. And, and I would just suggest that if uh, someone lives as though none of those things are a reality, then they're probably not a believer. And I know that's really hard. It's hard, isn't it, when someone is determined to say, no, I am, I am, I am, but, but, but. But I think our authority needs to continue to be the Bible and not a vibe. Our authority needs to be the Bible and not what is in our own minds. And what God tells us is that indeed the Spirit of God will transform our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we come before him and pray and ask him. And so I would be suggesting that if you have a friend like that, that you gently and curiously inquire of what they're doing with their life. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. It's, it's interesting how those two things are linked. Like if Jesus is Lord, um, then people are going to recognize their sin and then mm. repent. Yeah. Um, and that repentance will bear fruit through the yeah. power of the Spirit. Um, but yeah, two very different but similar questions. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, 
uh, when I was taught to preach the gospel, I was, I was told, because it's from the Bible, uh, that you, you need to preach Jesus is Lord, he is king of the world, and Jesus is saviour. He's not just Lord, bossy, and going to napalm you. He's not just saviour. He's not just sort of do whatever you like, I'll look after everything. Over here is sort of a nonsense, and over here is some sort of form of you know, liberal nonsense. He's actually both, and you can't separate those two things. He is king over you, and that his kingship says, wow, you're really not living up to the standard, but he's saviour. And he goes, guess what? You don't have to live up to the standard because I died for you. And you separate those two things, and you lose the gospel. They must stay together like undivisible magnets, Lord and saviour. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. I'm reminded of Mark 1, where Jesus goes and starts his ministry and says, repent, and believe. and believe the good news. Yeah. yeah. Um, one last question that I'll get you to answer in about 30 seconds or less. Okay. How do we reconcile not feeling guilt over our sin? Um, we talked about guilt no more. How do we reconcile that with Romans chapter 6, what Paul said earlier? What should we mm. feel regarding our further sin, if not guilt? Uh, yeah. so I'll read out Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. Um, more questions. Paul loves asking questions as he writes. Uh, what so shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Mm. So how do we reconcile that with not feeling guilt anymore? Nigel? Yeah, so uh, I think actually in the, th- in the thread of Romans 5 into Romans 6, Paul has just been saying God's grace just covers over your sin. God's grace covers over your sin gloriously and beautifully. A- and-, and God by his grace has shown you love and he's forgiven you completely and absolutely. And we love God's grace and it's poured out upon us. And Paul then perhaps has someone say to him or perhaps he anticipates an opponent who says, Ha if we love God's grace and God's grace is poured out when we sin, then shouldn't we sin even more because we love God's grace? There'd be more grace. And Paul says, no, actually, when you became a believer, you died to sin. You chose Jesus as Lord, and so you you no longer live in that sin. And so you don't actually live in guilt. There's no guilt attached, in a sense, to Romans 6, 1 and 2. It's actually Paul just saying, "Don't, don't keep sinning because Jesus is Lord. And he's died for your sin, and we actually want to live to please him. So give that a crack instead. I like it. Over 30 seconds, that's okay. Thanks, (laughs) Nigel. Thank you very much. Uh, Keep an eye in the members group or the Night Church? I will just do it in the Night Church group. It'll just be exclusive Night Church sermon extra. It's changed name this week. I think it's 6 bracket, 6 p.m. bracket, Christchurch Nights Community at Christchurch. Yes.